0: You're listening to Preaching Source, a ministry of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary's School of Preaching. I'm your host, Professor Barry McCarty. We're delighted to welcome to Preaching Source today, uh, personally, a longtime friend, Dr. Nathan Leno, is pastor of Northeast Houston Baptist Church in Humboldt, Texas. And I've known Nathan for years in Southern Baptist life. Most recently, I've had the pleasure of serving as his parliamentarian during his two years as president of the Southern Baptist of Texas Convention. So, uh, Nathan, welcome to Preaching Source.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's a delight to be here.
0: You're on the campus here at Southwestern this week for our text-driven preaching conference where did you first hear the term text-driven preaching, and at what point in your ministry did you begin to preach that way?
1: Well, before I ever heard about text-driven preaching, I was exposed to it for four years during my time at Texas A&M University when I belonged to Central Baptist Church, and my pastor was Chris Osborne. And for my four years in college, I sat under my pastor, who preached word by word, line by line, through books of the Bible, and so I was exposed to it and experienced the power of expository preaching, uh, but still did not yet know it was a science, and art, and an, an approach to preaching. Uh, and it wasn't until I got to Southeastern Seminary to train for the pastorate uh, where I was from 99 to 02, uh, in large part because Dr. Patterson was the president there, uh, that I was exposed to text-driven preaching. And so Dr. Patterson would obviously talk about it a lot in chapel, encourage it. It was modeled by the chapel preachers. Uh, and then, you know, the only form of preaching that was taught uh, at the time was expository preaching at Southeastern. And so uh, so Wayne MacDill was my preaching professor. He taught us his book, and that was my first uh, exposure to it. Uh, at that level, and then I first started practicing expository preaching when I planted my church. That was my first time to preach regularly was when I was the pastor of a church. Mm-hmm. Wow. What are the benefits of text-driven exposition for, for the church? Yeah. Well, obviously, number one is biblical literacy. It teaches the people how to study the Bible it teaches the people how to think about the Bible. It, it teaches them theology. It puts the pieces of the Bible together so that when they're having their personal quiet times, family devotions, etc., cetera, they, they have learned how to study the Bible. So, so for biblical literacy, it's really powerful. I also think it's very powerful at an Ephesians 5 level. I forget the exact verse, but the Scriptures talk about somewhere in verse 23 or 24, I believe it is, uh, about the Word of God washing us sanctifying us, purifying us, that we, Christ Church, could be like a pure bride, a virgin at His return. And in my—you know, I've been preaching expositorily for 16 years at my church now, and I can literally see the progress in my people's faith— and uh, there's, there's no substitute for week upon week, just the wave upon wave of the Word of God washing upon the hearts and minds of people. The, the, the effect of expository preaching is long-term. You've got to have a long-term view, but if you do, uh, it's, just, it's just such a powerful Way to approach the preaching of the word of God. Wow. Now, here at our preaching conference, and sh- conference, you are leading a
0: breakout session entitled "The Three C's of Leadership." What
1: are those three
0: C's, and can you give us a brief overview uh, of, the, uh, of that? Yeah, breakout the, uh, session?
1: the the breakout session is you know how to how to select leaders and identify potential leaders ahead of time before you actually install them into leadership. Because once you do, if you've picked a dud, you know how it is. You can't get rid of a dud in most circumstances until they've made enough errors that other people see that person needs to go. Um, And, you know, frankly, one of the hardest things in leading is picking leaders. It's incredibly hard. Even the people with the most discerning eye are not going to bet a thousand in picking leaders. But... Uh, through biblical wisdom, we can greatly increase the odds of picking great leaders and reduce the odds of picking duds. And so years ago, a pastor introduced me to his alliterated three words that I have since taken and made my own through the way I select leadership. But, but really, I have found it very helpful over the years in hiring staff, picking lay leaders, etc., to think through these buckets or categories in assessing a person that because all three matter; um, those three things being character, chemistry, and competence. And I've just learned if someone can't go three for three, you don't want them. Two for three's not enough. One for three's not enough. So anyway, that's what the breakout session is about. How do, how do, how can we think wisely about identifying leaders? All
0: right, that that would be one good reason for wanting to uh, get tapes of uh, <laughs> this year's <laughs> preaching conference. Nathan, how how does a preacher lead from the pulpit?
1: Uh, well, the only authority we have is the authority that's in the Word of God. When it comes to being a preacher, uh, we stand on the authority of God's Word, and so what I've learned is as a preacher faithfully preaches the Word of God, week after week, month after month, year after year, the Holy Spirit puts in the hearts of your people um, that, that the Holy Spirit just gives you a high degree of credibility in their mind, ethos. And uh, you become the leader not because of your charis, you know charisma, not because of your gifting. You become the leader because you've built up authority through preaching the Word of God. And so, I I, I think faithful preaching becomes the platform from which we lead in that sense. But obviously, I mean, if you're a lead pastor, a lot of your leadership's going to come from vision casting, standing before the people saying, this is what I think God's saying, Uh, here's how we can get there, and calling them to seek the face of God to see if uh, they too, as a congregation, think it's the Word, you know, God's will. So, so I, I'm, I just think our preaching builds our credibility. It gives us the authority, authority to lead, and it's the platform, literally. We stand before the people, the platform God's given us to lead from. Mm. And Nathan, you, uh, throughout your preaching ministry, I mean, boy, you have preached
0: through so many whole books of the Bible. You, you go paragraph by paragraph. Uh, you're currently preaching through Mark, yes. I believe, on Sunday mornings, but you've preached through Genesis, Leviticus, Joshua, Samuel, Proverbs, Matthew, Acts, Ephesians, uh, Hebrews, 1 Peter. You, you've preached through every one of the major genres uh, of Scripture what's been the most
1: challenging book that you've preached through Hebrews 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 was incredibly difficult I loved it it was rewarding honestly I wish I'd waited till later in my ministry to preach it um, you know it's interesting as you know dr. McCarty that you know as we mature in our faith as preachers our theology uh doesn't evolve. That's not the right word, but it uh, it deepens, it becomes more full. And I don't know. I, I I think there's some books of the Bible that I know at least for me as a preacher, I want to wait until my theology is more full to to preach them. And I think Hebrews is one of those books. And I think I went for it too early. Uh, I think Ezekiel for me, Ezekiel, Daniel, Revelation, they would fall into those categories. So Hebrews was very challenging for me. You got, those, you got the warning passages. You got texts inside of texts. I mean, it's just a very difficult book. Uh, the most rewarding, man, I've loved them all. I really liked Leviticus. I, it was way more fun than I expected. But I think, I think uh, Joshua was my most fun. It's such a positive book. It's the one generation of the Israelites that got it right. God said, "Do this, and you will prosper." They did it, and they prospered. And uh, there's obviously it's so relevant for our lives today. So anyway, I loved Joshua. If a, you know, if anyone's listening who's a preacher and they haven't preached through Joshua, I would highly recommend it. It is a lot of fun. Hmm.
0: What what would you say are the qualities of a preacher that that people are drawn to that that would see him as as a must listen? I just have to listen to this preacher. What What are the qualities that that make that that winsomeness that draw people to want to hear a man preach?
1: Well, for me, the number one quality is that I can sense He's actually bringing me a message from the throne room of heaven, and not just skillfully explaining a text. Uh, I think at the end of the day, a sermon is more than just exegeting a passage. A sermon literally has to be a message from God. Once the pastor knows what that text is, he's, he, he's studied it, he's broken it down, he then has to go and get on his face before God and ask the Holy Spirit, not just for application, but for anointing, to, to guide the mind of the preacher, so that, so, so that when that sermon gets delivered, it's for that audience In the mood they're collectively in on that day. I mean, it's got to be a message for those people for that day. And you've seen it in, in seminary chapel services, where there's lots of preachers that come and preach skillful, technical sermons, but there's few who come and preach to the people in the room. There's few that show up with an actual message from God for that day for those people where they're at. Um, and in fairness to most chapel preachers, it's because you're you're scared. You know, you got experts in Hebrew and Greek and preaching, everything's staring at you and everyone's analyzing you. But but at the end of the day, a sermon has to be a message from the throne room of heaven, and I, I need to know that when I'm listening to a preacher. But then obviously you backtrack from there, and, you know, it has to be an expository sermon for me, or it doesn't have to be, but I, if it's not, there needs to be a good reason why it's not expository, because it's hard to believe any message from God's not based in just the unfolding of His revelation, His special revelation the Bible. So, so obviously, I mean, you know, a message from heaven, a man who's preaching an expository sermon, obviously want the man to be intelligent, you know, be able to explain. When, when I hear a sermon, I want to hear, tell me something profound, teach me something. If you're just uh, telling me run-of-the-mill stuff, I need to know you 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 really have have marinated in the text and thought about it from different angles, processed it I don't know that's that's a pretty complicated answer it's uh you can feel a good sermon more than you can explain it I think.
0: Do you recall the sermon you preached here in chapel this past fall?
1: Yeah, the one on uh, true repentance versus mere remorse. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, I remember that day that you you were
0: obviously gripped by that message. I I could tell sitting there, I'm sitting down front where I always sit. I like to sit down front and and take it in. Uh, it, that wasn't just a favorite sermon that wasn't just a sugar stick that you had come up to the big seminary to preach you were gripped by that message can, can you share anything about the the process or are you why, why did you bring that message to us that day we, you were preaching to the people in the room no question about that and you, and you were god to just gripped your heart with that can you give us some insight into
1: yeah you know, um, what was going on with that the, the Holy Spirit has done a powerful working in my life, um, has really transformed me. Um, the, the Holy Spirit can pull you out of great sin. We underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit. We trust so much in programs and processes towards redemption and healing, but the way forward is is wholehearted pursuit of the Holy spirit of God. And when he, when, when you pursue him with all your heart, he really does fill you and give you everything you need. All things are possible with God. He will give you everything you need to walk the road. He has marked out for you during your lifetime on this earth. He'll give you whatever you need to get through anything in godliness. And I really believe that. And, uh, so when I showed up here that day in chapel, uh, you know, I've I've counseled not only quite a few church members, I've counseled pastors, fallen pastors, and pastors who maybe haven't dis- you know, not gross moral failure necessarily and disqualify themselves from ministry type stuff, but who have fallen enough that they're powerless, mm-hmm. the anointing of God is just not on them. And thanks to the grace and mercy of God, if we will go before the Lord and turn to Him with all our heart, He will transform us, and uh, His Spirit will fill us. And there is nothing like leading a church in the power of God, walking in the Spirit. And I just don't think guys hear enough about that. And uh, when I, I just, you know, I, I was in seminary, and I, I never missed chapel. I loved chapel. It was my favorite thing about seminary. Loved it, loved it. Dr. Patterson always called it his classroom, and it was, man. Man, it was awesome. But the, one of the things I remember about being in chapel was the preachers would either show up with the one greatest sermon they've ever preached because they were scared <laughs> and knew they could deliver on that one, or they would, they would come and tell me, you know, I'm, I'm 22 years old in seminary telling me about something I'm going to need to know 5 years from now leading a church. And I remember I would sit there many times in chapel saying, "But what tell me something I need now. Like bring me a message from God for now. I'm I'm broke. I'm a newlywed. I don't know how to do marriage. I'm living in North Carolina across the country from anyone I know. Everyone I know is in Texas. You know, we're living on two part-time salaries. I stand in a bread line every Sunday afternoon getting two-day-old bread, and you're talking to me about how to lead a deacon's meeting six years from now. I have no connection to that. So, so, you know, I would sit there, and I would literally say to myself, if I ever get to preach in a seminary chapel, I'm going to bring a sermon for seminary students. I'm not going to worry about the profs. I'm not going to worry about, you know, what it's going to be like when these guys pastor one day. I'm just going to preach to seminary students. That's a thing. Being a seminary student's a thing. You've got needs. It's hard. It's a tough season of life, and it should be. It's like Moses on the backside of the desert. God's testing you, so we shouldn't alleviate the struggle. It's necessary for preparation, but a word from God will carry you through it. So that's when I showed up that day, I wanted to bring a word from God to people where they were at in seminary.
0: Well, you did that. You also spoke to a 60-something uh, seminary professor. Amen. Let me be a witness to that. Amen. <laughs> As well. God's Word is good. Nathan, uh, talk to us a little bit about your sermon uh, preparation process. How, how do you plan and put together
1: sermons? Gosh, it is so much work. <laughs> 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 when it's done right, yes. <laughs> sermon prep is so stinking hard. Um
0: Every guy at listening to the podcast is saying, "Amen, Amen preach, I mean, it it, brother." It is so
1: yes. brutally hard. It is so hard that some weeks, I mean, is it unspiritual for me to confess like I dread beginning, like just getting out the blank sheet of paper? It's hard, man. Um, you feel when you've prepared properly, you feel beat up. You got no emotional and spiritual capital left. But you know how it is with the spirit. Like when you're ready, it like all comes back. That that excitement, you can't wait to deliver it, but it's just hard. Anyway, well, okay. Well, the process I go through is uh I I get out of, I literally I get out a blank piece of paper and my Bible, no commentaries, no outside sources, and I read the passage silently, out loud. I whisper it. I yell it at the top of my lungs. I do dramatic readings of it, literally walking around my office. I mean, I'll probably read the text I'm going to preach 20 times in different ways. And I just—I think it sounds goofy, but doing all of that, really, you start feeling the text. You start seeing the primary clauses, the secondary clauses. You start... Anyway, and so so I go through multiple readings, multiple readings to familiarize myself and then I sit down and I immediately just start doing immediate observations. The stuff that just, you know, how it is both immediate questions, like, I wonder why this is this? What does this mean? This word's obviously important. I'm going to need to look that up, you know, but also just immediate observations, anything. It's just, I call it verbal vomit. There's nothing too dumb to write down. Write everything down that comes to mind, because somewhere in there is something important. There's nothing nothing too dumb to write down. Yeah, Yeah. it's just you. No one's going to see it. No one's going to see it. You know, it's going to end up on the cutting room floor, but it's the dumb ideas that lead to the brilliant ones. That's one of the things I've learned in sermon prep. Don't underestimate the power of a dumb idea. So I just write down all the immediate observations. Um, and then what I do is, honestly, I take my best guess at a structural diagram. I am not a Greek or Hebrew expert. I have a working knowledge of it, but I can't just get out a Greek New Testament or Hebrew Old Testament, and I'm not fluent in it like that. But I, based on just... Repeated readings of the text. Oh, and in different parallel versions. Anyway, I try to put a structural diagram together. At that point, I I actually get out a uh, a critical commentary, not pastoral commentaries, but critical commentary that does the legwork of the Greek or the Hebrew or the structural diagramming to see if I got it correct. If I didn't, if I didn't, I switch to the experts' version so I make sure I'm getting the the, the text correct. Uh, and then once I have the structural diagram and I know what the primary and secondary clauses are, my next step is to generate the big idea. I think every great sermon hangs on a big idea. To hone, hone, hone the text, the meaning of the text down to one sentence. If you can't say it in one sentence, you're not there yet. And that you know that that homiletical idea, if you will, becomes the sermon idea when you deliver it. And then everything hangs on that and that one sentence is the vision of the sermon and then it's like vision casting. Don't do anything that's not inside the vision. That sentence guides you that provides the boundaries of the sermon. And then I just start I start fleshing it out. I think, you know, I put everything into make them aware, grant them understanding, argue for it, apply it. I mean, it's just the communication continuum. So then it's become an art form at that point. You've gone from science to art where your personality, your gifting, your anointing. Uh, within all of that, you you put you put the you 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 gen- I generate a manuscript, and then uh, yeah, then I, I go through about three drafts of the manuscript, and then uh, then I get it down to an outline from the manuscript, and then I get it down to like five keywords, and then I memorize the five keywords, and then I go into the pulpit with no notes.
0: What about long-term sermon planning? How do you approach oh, that? that is so
1: hard. <laughs> How do I approach that? Okay, well, I'm going to tell you, the key to my preaching uh, is before I start a book, I actually, this is a true story. I come to Southwestern Seminary, and I pay a professor to walk me through the book. So, so for example, I'm going through Mark right now. Terry Wilder spent about five hours with me in his office, and we walked through the entire book from start to finish. So when that when that five hours ended, I had a live experts. He sherped me through Mark. I knew the high points of the book. I, I mean, my point being, when I got done with those five hours, it was at the bulk of my long term planning. Like he and I basically sat down, and came up with the pericopes, did advanced looking at big ideas. I don't know, Dr. Mark. I, w- I was sitting in my office about 10 years ago trying to do this from a commentary, looking at a commentary that's 500 pages long. I figured out what book I was preparing to preach, and I thought, how long is it going to take me to read 500 pages of dense work, which is brilliantly written, but is nonetheless dense work? And after reading these 500 pages, how much am I going to r- remember? And then I just I, I closed the book, and I just had this light bulb moment where I saw the, the commentator's name, and he was still alive. So then I thought, why am I reading his book if I can just talk to him? So I was like, I'm just going to call him up and offer money. I'll pay you by the hour to do what you're an expert in. So it's going to require no planning on your part. I'm just going to sit there. You just start talking. I'm going to write everything down. And that's it. So I called, I called the author, the commentator, and he was a professor at Southwestern and he was chuffed that someone wanted to know more about his book. And I thought, well, if I just go sit with him for five hours, um, you know, you know, when you write a book, there's stuff in there that's not essential. So, uh, I just want the essential part. So I just showed up it was, it was awesome. So now I don't. Josh Williams got me ready. Dr. Williams got me ready for Joshua. He got me ready for Proverbs. Dr. Wilder got me ready for Ephesians. He's gotten me ready for Mark. There you go. That's
0: that's a neat thing. That's the, like the <laughs>
1: giant bulk of my advanced planning, because I literally have all of Mark outlined right now in pericopes because of those five hours. Well, that's a neat idea. I We
0: might mention here... Uh, for the guys, that, if, you, if you're listening to this Preaching Source podcast, you're already on the Preaching Source website, and this is one of the things that we're uh, providing for preachers uh, are the sermon structures and sermon starters yes. Yes. here uh, trying to draw on a, a pool of
1: experts that we have access to. Okay, well, let's flip seats for a second. Do that. Let me ask you a question. Okay. okay. You're a, a preaching professor. professor. Yes. yes. Because I know what some guys are immediately thinking based on what you just said. Right. What, what point is stealing a sermon, stealing a sermon? And at what point are you just getting help? So why don't you say a word about that? Because I agree with what you just said. There's nothing wrong with guys using sermon starters, oh, Can cetera. cetera. Can you, can you just kind of speak to that just on an ethical level? to give guys peace of oh, mind? Oh, sure. sure. What, uh, what we've been
0: describing so far, I see all of that is, is legitimate research. You, whether you get something from a book or whether you talk live to an author, you're carrying on a conversation with a person who's an expert in that book. But ultimately, uh, well, it, even even if you just open up a, a modern English translation and you get hints as to what the pericopes are, by looking at the the headings, the the yes. translators have already done a great deal of work in defining preachable pericopes uh, because they've done the lectionary work of, yeah. of dividing the passage up into readable or preachable passages. So uh, that's that's not cheating or stealing. That's
1: that's a resource that's given there to the whole church. Uh, kind of the yeah, amen. Uh, it's kind of the relationship between the gift of knowledge and the gift of wisdom right T- typically a professor there's a lot of professors who can preach don't get me wrong but typically a professor's gifting is knowledge and a pastor's is wisdom i've read a lot of commentaries
0: that i thought gave me a lot of knowledge yeah. but no, ultimately thing. living with your people is yeah. where the wisdom has to come from well i see what i would do uh, you've you've touched a real wonderful vein here uh, because earlier you spoke of being gripped by a passage and preaching to the people in the room. Well, you've gone off and visited with the scholar. You've gotten an understanding of, of a book, but as part of your process, you're now coming and thinking about the people in the room. So yes. I, I, I think the way that we've described it here, it's the perfect, most ethical, <laughs> most fruitful way to go about <laughs> Uh, that I
1: see all of that as legitimate research and sermon preparation. It's... but wouldn't it be awesome if if just say five to ten pastors in an area, maybe someone's listening and they're saying, "Well, I can't afford to go meet with a professor." And besides, if every preacher tried it, no professor could actually manage the time. But, yeah, but well, what if? But wouldn't it be cool if five preachers in an area all picked the same book to preach through? And together they met with the prof. I mean, it would be it would be awesome. I've done that. I, I've actually done that before. In, oh really? Uh, I I've had uh, when I was in new church work,
0: I had two other uh, preachers who happened to be professors, and I had a New Testament professor and an Old Testament professor, and I was the homiletician. and the three of us came to the task not only as pastors of new churches, but also we each had some expertise to contribute to the discussion. so That's I, awesome. Well, you, I think you've, uh, I, I think what you have said to us, Nathan, is be creative about where you find the expertise that can help you understand what you're preaching, but ultimately we go back to where you were earlier, that you're going to be the one with the people in the room. And so yes. as their pastor, you have to understand how that applies to them in, in their uh, day-to-day lives. Oh, wow. Hey, thank you so much, Nathan. Uh, our guest today on Preaching Source has been Nathan Leno, pastor of Northeast Houston Baptist Church in Humble, Texas. And uh, boy, this has been a great conversation today.
1: I've learned yeah, a lot as great. a pastor, and I know our listeners have. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it.